Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first lesson today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance a time to throw away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain have workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet, they cannot figure out what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. 
God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already is. God seeks out that which has already gone by. This is the word of the Lord. Time. We, we need more of it. We waste it. We don't have enough time, so we try to save it. Time flies by. Time stands still. We wait for what seems like forever, and then time just sneaks up on us. Some things happen at the right time. Other things seem to happen at the wrong time. Some people live a long time. Others live a short time. We are people of our particular time. I recently saw a YouTube video in which a father gave a rotary phone. You'll have to ask the scoutmasters what this is. Um, a rotary phone to his two uh, sons and gave them five minutes to figure out how to make it work. And it was unbelievable. They could not figure out how to make it work. I suggest that you Google that YouTube video. It's a lot of fun. But it's a wonderful reminder that we are all, each of us, products of our own time. We, times change from generation to generation. They don't stay the same. Now, I suppose it is God who started this whole idea of time. God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. God is the original author of the storybook of time. And our stories, yours and mine, are written on the pages of time Time binds together our moments and our days and our weeks and our years and our decades. There is nobody's story like yours or like mine. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes was a wise man. His book is part of what's called the wisdom writings in the Bible that include things like Proverbs and and Job. Wisdom writers teach the lessons of human experiences so that people can learn to anticipate the possibilities for good and even for evil, for happiness and for heartache that lie on their horizon. These writers hope people to help people live their very best lives. So the writer of Ecclesiastes, who, by the way, is called the teacher or the preacher, if you look earlier in the book, the teacher or the preacher takes the Google Earth view of human life. He gets way up above it all, where there's no emotion, no anxiety, no ambitions, and he simply calls it like it is. He talks about how things are, no rose-colored glasses. He says there's a time and a season for everything, and then he goes on to list 28 items for which there is a time. Those things are experienced by all who have the privilege of living any number of years. This is a beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry, and quite often we hear it at weddings and funerals, important occasions, because we all have the sense that our lives are not random 
but that God has given order to our world. Now, many of you, some of you, will remember the song by the birds that detailed or gave this narrative. And it it went like this. I'm not going to sing. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a a time to reap, and on and on. And I've got to confess to you that when I started looking at this text, that musical, that song played over and over again in my mind, and I started to feel like a hamster on a wheel. Uh, Things happen in life, and it sounds like we've got no control, no choice. Things just keep happening in life. Just turn, 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 churn, churn, churn. And it made me wonder, what is the meaning in our days? Has God simply wound up the clock of time and let it run out as it, as it will? And sometimes I think we feel that way in life. Um, I'm sure all of you are aware that there's a stream of thought in culture today that is sort of that way, and honestly, this is nothing new, but I'm going to read you one tweet from Vanilla Ice that sort of sums it up for me. It's short. It's a tweet. Life is short. Live it up. Try to smile as much as possible and help others. When you die, game over. Enjoy. Now... (laughs) We get it, don't we? We know what it's like to feel that way when we face big struggles, when we hit dead ends and we don't know what to do. Maybe we have a close call with our own mortality. But the writer of Ecclesiastes would not agree with Vanilla Ice. His perspective of the world is different. It comes from within the bounds of the Hebrew understanding of the world. It is God who gives the gift of life. God creates and sustains all there is. God reveals God's self through what we see in the words of Scripture, through, uh, through God's covenants, through the, the law, through the prophets. So the teacher knows that all of life is a gift of God, even though at times God seems distant. The teacher writes, God has made everything suitable for its own time. Now, many of you have heard that stated in a different translation. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. I like beautiful better, and I think it's actually a better reflection of the Hebrew. But what God, what God makes is not random. random. It's not purposeless. God has made everything that God makes with intentional to be meaningful in the time it's given. And he goes on to say, moreover, God has put a sense of the past and the future into people's minds. We can remember. What a gift that is. We can remember what's happened to us. We can study history and remember what's happened to humans over time. And we've got a sense of the future. We can anticipate what's going to happen, what can happen. This gives us great possibilities for not just planning, but hope. And hope is really important. But then teacher writes this. He writes, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's nothing better than for people to be happy and enjoy themselves, finding pleasure in the good things of life, for these are gifts of God. So, 
Mystery remains, always. And yet, don't miss that God wishes for us to experience joy in our lives. Now, we all know that there's a lot more to life than you can touch or feel or see or hear or even imagine. We learn new things all the time. We know that we are more than the sum of our lived experience or our DNA or whatever our current life situation is. We're more than that. God punctuates our life stories with insight. He gives us curiosity and gifts and purpose. And before we know it, we're singing a new song. Maybe we're singing along with Louis Armstrong. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Or for the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, or holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God will give us a new song. Now, some of you may remember, many of you probably have seen Thornton Wilder's classic play, Our Town. It's probably been produced on most high school stages and, and everywhere else, too. The main character in Our Town, her name is Emily Webb, and she discovers too late the joy of just being alive. In Act Three of the play Our Town, after Emily Webb has died, the stage manager calls her onto the stage and gives her an opportunity to witness just one day in the life she has lived. And so she goes and she visits her 12th birthday. And she's warned that this is going to be hard for her to watch, but she goes ahead and watches it anyway. And she cannot understand, witnessing that day, how little joy her own family and even she herself took in the gifts of their own lives. And she cries out, Oh, Earth, you are too wonderful for anybody to realize you. And then she turns to the audience and she said, do human beings realize life while they live it? Every, every minute, every, every minute is a gift from God. The Bible is the story of God's engagement with humanity and it's laid out on the pages of time from Adam and Eve all the way through, God makes God's self known to people. And we know that Jesus came to open up the God story to more and more people, in fact, to everyone. We know that God is still at work in our world. Scripture is always saying, with Billy Mays, but wait, there's more. Jesus stepped from being one with God to join us in human flesh when the time was right. As Paul writes to the church in Galatia, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because we are children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wow, in the sending of the Son and of the Spirit, God intervened again in human existence in a big new way. 
In Jesus, God stepped into time and into flesh to affirm the goodness and the God-blessedness of human life. It's so cool. Now, Alice read to you Matthew's account of the transfiguration of Jesus. This is Transfiguration Sunday. I'm wearing white. The church is decked in white. It's a, a special occasion of the appearance of the Lord. But at the time of the transfiguration, Jesus was nearing the end of his earthly life, and he knows it. And so he takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountaintop, and he is transfigured before them. Now, transfigured is not a word we use all the time, but what it really means is he, he was transformed from his human self to something very different. And in this case, it sounds like he looked as though the sun was shining from the inside out of him. And Jesus was kind of white, hot, glowing. And this is definitely a supernatural vision that these disciples are, are given to witness. And then, uh, Elijah and Moses joined Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration, representing the law and the prophets. And then they're gone. And Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, don't tell anybody about this until I have been raised from the dead. So we looked at this passage in our Tuesday evening women's Bible study, and we talked about why Jesus took those disciples up on that mountaintop to give them this glimpse of his glory, because it terrified them. And then Jesus tells them to tell nobody. Why did he do that? Was it maybe because he was heading for betrayal, for a trial, crucifixion, dead and buried, all that. And he wanted them to have something to hold on to so that they would have courage to continue. Or was it because Jesus knew what was coming and he really needed their presence with him? Stay with me. Pray for me, right? As he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Was it because once he was had resurrected from death and had ascended, they would have to carry forth his mission without his physical presence. Was that why he showed them? Did he give them a glimpse of his glory to help boost their faith for the days to come? It, might, it would have terrified us, but I imagine we would have been encouraged as well to see Jesus in his glorious state. But then the ladies on Tuesday night, we went on and we talked about glimpses of glory, of God's glory that we've had in our own lives. Even when we don't fully understand what has happened, you and I have all had transcendent moments when we know that God is for real and that God is with us and that God is glorious. Perhaps it's a word from a friend that came just at the right time. Maybe, and perhaps quite often, it's God's majesty displayed in the beauty and the intricacy of God's creation. Maybe it's courage given to you in the midst of a very fearful, fearful time. A word from Scripture that just goes right through you. A couple of the ladies said that it's happened to them when they have wandered into this sanctuary and it has been empty, except for Tom George playing the organ. 
and experience a glimpse of God's glory. So we too experience God's glory in these ways, in many, many ways. And our stories, our life stories are intimately related and connected to God's story. There's a professional storyteller by the name of Ron Evans. And he tells of a friend of his who went to visit an African village shortly after the first television set was introduced there. Imagine that. Um, He learned from one of the villagers about what happened. These people gathered around and marveled at this television set for about two weeks. They would slip away to go and catch a glimpse of what was happening on the screen. But gradually, as time went on, they just kind of drifted away, and nobody was watching the story anymore on the television screen. And so... Evan's friend asked the man, a man, a villager, well, why did you stop watching the television? And he said, oh, we don't need it. We have the storyteller. And the man said, well, don't you think the television tells many stories? And the African man replied, the television knows many stories, but the storyteller knows me. Friends, the storyteller knows you, the storyteller knows me. Last fall, when our church hosted several local artists to come in and talk at our Sunday Night Soul Feast about how their art intersects with their life of faith, it was such a joy. It was such a joy to hear these talented people speak openly about how their faith has guided them but often how they didn't realize that God was in it until they could see it in the rearview mirror. That's so true of us, isn't it? Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this. He said, life can only be understood looking backwards, but it must be lived going forward. True. I have a dear friend who I met in Chicago, uh, oh gosh, 25 years ago maybe, when we both had young children. And we have remained close through all these years. And I recently had the opportunity to spend some time with her. And she said something to me that kind of challenged me. She said, Connie, when we were, you know, back in the day when we were chasing kids around the block, Um, you used to have the most wonderful stories about what God was doing in the world and in your life. And I used to apparently speak very freely, and this kind of caught me off guard, and I thought, what has happened to me? Have I become, like, have I gotten too grown up? Have I become a God professional, and therefore I can't get real jacked up and excited about what I see God doing in my world? I I don't, you know, but it it challenged me. And um, so I want to challenge you. Are you telling God's story and the story of God's goodness in your life to people who need to hear your story? I, the times maybe when you were at your wit's end and the Lord seemed to throw you a rope through human or other means. Um, are you, the times of, of extreme joy when you knew that only God could make something like that happen? Who needs to hear those stories? 
Is it a child, a grandchild? Is it a coworker? Is there something you want to share confidentially with a pastor just so that you can um, get it off your chest or and, and entrust it to God or understand the experience that you've had? If we never ever take time to reflect on our own stories and experiences, we may miss opportunities to experience the glory of God in everyday life. So I challenge you, look backwards. Find those moments of divine mercy in your life. How are you experiencing God even right now? How might you claim the presence of the Holy Spirit and the cross of Jesus Christ to help you through a crisis you are in the middle of right now? How might you relinquish a heavy burden to God in prayer? And then looking forward, I want to ask you, and this is a question that kept running through my mind. Um, actually, the question is by a band called Chicago. You all know Chicago. Does anybody really know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Have you evaluated your priorities lately, the way you spend your days, how you spend your time? Because life often catches us by surprise. Our babies turn into big boy scouts. Our young people turn into young adults if we only blink. Our middle-aged folks are now finding themselves straddled between the needs of their children and their parents. And folks my age are looking at all kinds of new things, including things like retirement. Wow, before we know it, we are in a new season of life. Don't blink, y'all. It happens quickly. But here's what Scripture teaches. Scripture says that God punctuates our stories with love and grace and hope and courage, and our lives are not meaningless but meaningful. Our church calendar is designed to tell God's story. So we in the church mark our calendars by the big events in the life of Christ. Think about it. In Advent, we wait for Christ's coming, both in the flesh as a babe and Christ's second coming again. At Christmas, we celebrate that the Word has been made flesh and dwells among us. During Lent, the season that begins this Wednesday, we remember the cross of Christ and we contemplate what that means for our lives. And on Easter, Jesus got up and we say He is risen indeed. And then on Pentecost comes the Holy Spirit. So here's where we are today, Transfiguration Sunday. We're right on the eve of the season of Lent. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent, the 40 days before um, good, the 40 days excluding Sundays before we remember Christ's cross on Good Friday. Lent is a season to reflect on God's what God is doing, God's forgiveness, God's reconciling powers in our world, our need for deliverance from trials and temptations, our need to make peace with God or with others. It's a time to consider why in God's big, big story that Jesus came in flesh not just to live a human life, but to die a purposeful death. Because in his death on the cross, he 
redeemed you and me, and he paid the price to buy us out of things like sin and death. And he rose from the grave in order to pave the way for us to experience God's presence and purpose here and now and on into eternal life. So this Lent, as it comes, I challenge you to renew your commitment to your faith in Jesus Christ. Come to worship Wednesday, 6.30 in the chapel. Consider taking up a practice during the 40 days of Lent, a new discipline. The church will make available beautiful devotionals uh, for adults, and then there's a series of cards for the youth that, and, and I'm just going to tell you this, some of you might like the cards better than the book, and if you do, get those instead. It's all good, and it's all will lead you. But our theme for this Lent will be the wilderness, because we experience the wilderness in life, and certainly as we approach the cross, it's a, an appropriate and big Bible theme. Make a vow to yourself to be present in worship each week. Come with the expectation that the Lord will meet you here so that we're ready for Good Friday when it comes, and we're ready for Easter. God is always saying to us, but wait, there's more. Alleluia and amen.